start off. And if you have a Bible, you could turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and have that open. 2 Corinthians 5. Lord, we pray that your Holy Ghost would guide us this morning. Lead us into truth. Lead us, God, into what your word has guided us and, and, and warned us about in these last days. And I pray for a spirit of discernment, of insight, of revelation, of wisdom. God, to come upon us, to help us see what's happening in our days. Help us see into the future through prophecy. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Many times in the Bible, Jesus would say, again I say unto you, again I say unto you. In other words, he was repeating himself. He was going back over something that he had said before, again and again, because people don't get it too quickly. I don't know about you, but I don't get it too quickly. There's many truths that it's taken years and many more to come. And, and, and don't be presumptuous about that. I know one couple who faithfully sat in a church for 40 years before they got saved. 40 years sitting under the gospel before they actually responded to that gospel. You can be here every Sunday, friends. It doesn't mean you're getting it. You may not change at all. It's called religion. It happens every day to lots of people. So again, I say unto you that these are the last days. This is the end of time as God has plainly, clearly made it known to us. And this is week eight. For those of you joining us maybe for the first time at home, this is week eight. And I would advise you go to our website there and you can, not now, but later, and you can follow up on, on the previous seven messages that have brought us this far. But stay with us for the moment. This is week eight in a, in a series on end times. And so far we've begun to build our case because you need to have a case out of the Bible not out of thin air. If you say that Christ is coming back, show me. And we've begun, I hope, to do that. Jesus was not unclear. He said that he would not come back to earth until the gospel had been preached in the whole world. It has. It has. He said he would not come back to earth until the Jews had returned home. They did. 1948. Okay. said he would not come back to earth until the man of lawlessness was revealed or the Antichrist would become known to us. And that, to me, is a real warning because that's very current for us today. You see, the preparation for the arrival of the Antichrist is well underway as you live. Well underway in your lifetime. It began with Hitler in Europe. Because Europe will be the place, I believe, where the Antichrist will have his seat of power. And it began as, as the Antichrist, as the devil looks at Europe and looks at what he wants for his kingdom, his millennium, so-called, his thousand-year reign. Hitler wanted a thousand-year reign. He looks at Europe, right? And he says, what do I want first? Well, first thing, kill the Jews. <laughs> Salvation is off the Jews. First thing, get the Jews out of Europe. And that's the first thing the devil did. We had World War II. Then after that, I need to establish a political power base. By the way, he doesn't move the church out of Europe, you notice. That's because the church turns into the harlot church. It stays right where it is. He's going to use it later, at least part of it. So we have World War II, the beginning of the preparation of Europe for the arrival of the Antichrist, where the Jews are slaughtered. Then we have the emergence of his political base, which we call the European Union. And that began in 1950 and has been gaining 
enormous ground, country after country, come under that influence. We had the, the EEC to begin with, the European Economic Community, followed by the EU, the European Union, followed by the EMU, the European Monetary Union. And now we've got the Lisbon Treaty proposed before us, if some of you will know what that is, but it's really the beginnings of a constitution for the United States of Europe, basically. And that hasn't been ratified yet, but very soon probably will be, or at least something like it will be. So you begin to see, friends, it's, it, it's blatantly obvious, loud and clear, that the end of the world is approaching. We're right in those days. Now, God has told us, Jesus has told you, what? Watch. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. What do we watch? What, the sky? <laughs> you watch these things. You watch the political situations. You watch the economies. You watch what's happening and how it lines up. That's how you watch. So don't be, you know, deaf, dumb, and blind. But keep your eye on the ball. Follow world events and you will see how clearly they line up with Scripture. So last week in the morning and in the evening and today, we were looking at heaven and hell. I get very frustrated with believers. I mentioned this last Sunday. Who come up to you and they say, you know, tell me about the end times. Come on, hurry up. Get on with it. It's an attitude. There are many things. It can take, you know, years and years just to get a little grasp on anything to do with this stuff. Come on. Get real. And you're going to have to apply yourself to the scriptures to dig it out. The devil's not going to hand it to you, is he? You're going to have to fight for it. As for silver and gold, to gain understanding. Right? And that's what we're doing right now. As we looked at heaven and hell, didn't have too much reaction here a little bit. <laughs> Here and there, you see there's a lot of, you know, junk in our heads about heaven and hell, friends. A lot of it in the church. I'm talking about born-again, spirit-filled believers. The best we've got with heads full of junk, unbiblical junk. What me granny told me about the end of the world, about end, about end times, about heaven, about hell. Rubbish. And we need to get that stuff out if we're going to be effective. So let me just do a few little questions and answers to begin with because there was a lot of them this week. Some person said, one person said to me, well, heaven will be the same for everybody and hell will be the same for everybody because all sin is the same. I've heard that again and again, you know. That's a strange statement. Not all sin is the same, friends. Sin is not all the same. Paul makes that very clear in 1 Corinthians. He says that sexual sin is greater than other sins because a man takes his temple and joins it in sin, right? It also says unbelief is a very high-ranking sin. Indeed, in the book of Revelation, you can see that some sins are worse than others. Not all sin is the same. And by the way, hell will not be the same for everyone and heaven will not be the same for everyone. There are degrees of reward in heaven, and there are degrees of punishment in hell. So you start to get some encouragement then about the way you live your life. Heaven and hell are both spoken of by Jesus Christ as future places. Right? He, he used the same word when talking about both, actually, the word prepared. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. It's not ready yet. And, and leading churches can be like leading the Simpsons. You know, are we there yet? Is it ready yet? No, it's not ready yet. And we're not there yet. And hell is the same. He described hell 
as a place prepared. Not, there's nobody in it yet. A place prepared for the devil and his angels, right? So not all sin is the same. There will be degrees in these things. Jesus described it, and this is where it's really interesting, and you've got to pay close attention to anything Jesus says. Jesus says, hell will be like this, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But it's become a bit of a joke. That's because people don't understand it. Do you know what that means? Do you know when a human beings, you maybe have not seen this, I have. Do you know when a human being's teeth gnash? Very few occasions. But it's a, it's, it's, it's a frightening thing to see. The most common place in which a human being will weep and gnash their teeth is when they are absolutely furious at themselves. At themselves. And hell, Jesus says, hell is a place where people are weeping and gnashing their teeth saying, man, I missed it. Forever. Forever and forever, it will be a place where people will be kicking themselves. You see? Now he's trying to, to, to give us a little glimpse of what is out there so that you would avoid it and tell others about that, you know, what's up ahead for them. So don't ignore, don't mock the words of Jesus. There's a lot of modern alternatives around right now for hell and you've got to be careful of them. There's universalism and that's the idea that one day it's okay, everybody will be saved. No, one day everybody will not be saved. I wish that we could say that. I wish that was the truth. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't say that one day everybody will be saved. Very clearly does not say that. I wish that was the truth. So does God, by the way. That's why His Son went to a cross. He said, it's not my will that any man should perish. God wants to save people. Amen. But people turn, and sin is in the world, and we choose wickedness. Modern alternatives, universalism, that all will be saved. No, they won't. Or annihilation theology. This is very common at the moment. It's the belief that after you die, boom, you're annihilated. You no longer exist. That's not true. I was talking to Pradeep last week about this. That's not true. The, the scriptures are very clear. I won't go into it today. But the scriptures are very clear that we have a consciousness forever. I'll come back to that in a moment. We will exist forever in a conscious state, either in heaven or in hell. So you begin to clear out some of the junk. But uh, over the years, I've had some serious reactions when I've actually brought up the subject <laughs> alone of judgment, heaven, and hell. I preached on it one night, and I remember I got really grieved because I finished explaining about judgment, heaven, and hell, and this one girl came up, and she was absolutely furious with me. She said, well, what, what sort of gospel are you preaching? I said, the real one? <laughs> um, she was saying, you're saying Jesus is going to judge me? My Jesus won't judge me. My Jesus loves me. My Jesus has forgiven all my sins. My Jesus is a good Jesus. And off she walks. And I'm thinking, did I not make that clear? <laughs> and I remember feeling, God, help me to get it. What's wrong with that woman? What's wrong? Why do people have that reaction to the truth? Well, they're not reading their Bibles. That's a big reason. If you read your Bible, you see, you would see this every day. But as that woman walked away, I'll never forget it. Because things, you know, pennies begin to drop. And the first thing she's thinking, the first thing maybe you as well, she's thinking there's no judgment for her. That's what she's thinking. I'm born again. 
done and dusted. Hang on a minute. If you're born again, you're one-third saved. That's your spirit. And your soul is being saved. And one day, we have a joyful hope that one day we will be totally saved when our body is resurrected. Amen. So one-third of the way there when you're born again. But she's acting like everything's over. I say, sorry, it's not over. You have not yet been judged. You haven't gone through life yet. You can't walk around with that attitude. That's totally unbiblical. The other thing that strikes me about that sort of attitude is this. And listen, please listen with all your heart. That woman is confusing judgment with heaven. She thinks judgment and heaven are the same thing. No, they're not. They're over a thousand years apart. You will die. Remember, back to the drawing board. You will die. Your body will go into the ground. Your spirit will go to be with Christ. You will be clothed in a heavenly body. You will come back to earth and you will rule and reign for a thousand years. Then Satan will be released. I mean, go and read Revelation chapter 22. And you go, sorry, chapter 20. You can see the whole thing. And then, in the end, I think it's chapter 21, where it actually says at the end of the whole thing, we'll look at it later, behold, heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. Then you're in heaven. I'm just saying. She obviously had this concept, and this is the problem you get. Christians go to extremes. They either think judgment is all sweetness and light, or they think judgment is all fire and brimstone. They're both wrong. Judgment, for me, in the, in the Bible... If you take a balanced approach, judgment is like going to the dentist. If I've got a bad tooth, I can say I've booked an appointment for the dentist. Praise God. Ugh. Are you with me? I'm glad I've booked the appointment. And I'm happy that that day is set. But I'm a bit scared about going. I don't know about you. Some people like the dentist. I guess there's masochists everywhere. I hate the dentist. Right? So it's a bit like that. It's an occasion, and we'll come to that again in a moment. It's an occasion that Paul said, I fear. Now, I don't know if you consider yourself of greater standing than Paul. Right? So Paul's fearing this day. He's fearing this approach to God because he understands something that you don't. Are you with me? With fear and trembling, I approach the judgment seat of Christ. Fear and trembling. Paul, whipped five times. Paul with fear and trembling, approaches that seat. So what is it that he knows that we don't? Well, I'm telling you one thing. He's not confused where heaven is, and he's not confused where judgment is, and he's got a clear, you know, perspective of them both, separate idea of them both. Now, Christians, turn to 2 Corinthians a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 10 and 11. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment. Now, the word that Paul uses here is the word bema, B-E-M-A. And it means seat of rewards. Okay, now don't take that to an extreme, remember? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done whilst in the body, whether, read it with me, whether good or bad. You see, do you get the point? We're going to give an answer for the things done whilst in the body, whether good or bad. Look at verse 11. He goes straight to say, since th this is the truth, we know what it is to fear the Lord. You see? I'm just saying, folks, in our day, there is a, a, a great lack of fear of the Lord. 
People do not fear God. They're not afraid of God at all. They're afraid of the police, afraid of your neighbor. But God doesn't even come on the list with a lot of people. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. He doesn't. I sat in a room with a man once who had committed adultery. He was one of our members. I was sitting talking to him as he cried his eyes out. And when he pulled himself together, he started to tell me his story. And it went something like this. This had been a relationship that had been going on for a long time. And it went something like this. He said, oh, I was so frightened that you, talking about me, that you would find out. I was so frightened that my wife would find out. I was so frightened that the church would, or my kids would get to know. And as I sat there, I, it was plain to me what your problem is. But you had no concern for God. He's not on your list. You're not afraid of him. And so is our society. We live in an age that has defused the fear of God, taken it to an extreme like a sugar daddy. We serve an awesome, ever-living, holy, all-powerful God. Right? Now, if you can think of walking into that type of fire, which Paul describes judgment as, your judgment, he describes it as a purging fire. Right? If you can think of that in some light-hearted, sugar daddy way, then I can't help you, sorry. Because you do not know the God who you serve. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just saying you don't know what you're talking about. And we've developed an unbiblical approach to God. There are two judgments. Not one. There are two judgments in the Bible. One for the saved called the Bema Seat. And it happens, the, the, the first part of that happens at the rapture. Okay? There's another judgment at the end of the book of Revelations called the Great White Throne Judgment. And that's largely for the lost, for those who are risen. You can read about it all about, uh, at the end of the book of Revelation. The great white throne judgment, you don't want to show up there. You want to get resurrected, amen, and brought back to Christ at that first calling, the first trumpet. So how do we then, and this is where it gets serious, how do you prepare for judgment day? Many of you have just sat exams, and you worked hard and you studied hard, good for you. Well done. So you should. But how do we prepare for this day? which is the most important day of all days, the day that we should live our life for. What do we need to know? What does the Bible say about that day? I'll just go through a few things that you can see, and they're all important. They're on the back of your notes, actually, on the reverse side. The first thing I would say to us is be careful of comparison. In this life, you can be very keen to slap yourself on the back and say you're doing very well when you compare yourself to others. But I'm just warning you, folks, see on Judgment Day, you will not be compared to anyone, bar Christ. It won't be how like your mum you were, or did you meet her demands, or how like your dad you were, or did you meet his demands. That's not the criteria. It's Christ-like. It's how Christ-like you were. And you will not be compared to any human being other than him. That's the day, really, where the rubber hits the road. It's a day of surprises. Look at Matthew 25. A moment. Matthew chapter 25. And I'll start from verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a, as a shepherd 
separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, I'll skip to verse 37. Look at this. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? They're surprised. They're getting our reward. We don't deserve it. What did we ever do? When did we see the stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? And Jesus replies in verse 40, I tell you the truth, whenever you did this, for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Look at verse 44. Then they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or needing clothes or sick and did not help you? Surprise. Surprise. Undoubtedly, people who maybe thought they had it figured out. And it's kind of daunting, you know, that judgment day when described by Jesus Christ is a, is a surprise for just about every category of person. And if that doesn't give us pause, I don't know what can. That has to make me think. I need to prepare for this day. So first, it won't be a comparison. Second, realize that Jesus had rewards extremely high on his agenda. Turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 1, and look at this. In just a few short verses, the number of times that Christ refers to rewards. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward for your, uh, for, uh, from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Down to verse 4. So that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. And he goes on in verse 18 and on and on. Basically, Jesus Christ had your rewards much higher on his agenda than you probably do on yours. So what is it that he sees that I'm missing? What is it that Jesus is conscious of that he's trying to get you to think about your eternity. He sees you forever in that place. And as we've read before, we will be rewarded on the works we've done whilst in the body. And again and again, over and over, especially in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 5 verse 10, he says, if we are persecuted, we will be rewarded. Matthew 6 verse 11, if you forgive people, there's a reward for that. Matthew 10 verse 40, if you receive a prophet, there's a reward for that. Matthew 16, simply for following Jesus, there's a reward. 1 Corinthians will be rewarded for the work that we do. Ephesians 6 will be rewarded for doing good. And on and on and on it goes. And indeed in 2 John, one of my favorite verses, John tells us to guard that which we have worked for. Guard your reward. Don't lose it. Look forward to it. So judgment day, how do I get ready for it? I need to realize I'm not going to be compared with anybody bar Christ. I need to realize that there's surprises there I don't want. I want to study the scriptures and prepare for that day. Number three, I need to, 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 to take them seriously and, and understand what form they come in. And for me, rewards come in two forms, one in this current life and one in the age to come. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, there's so much in that, you know. The elder brother didn't appreciate 
the rewards that God had given him, that his father had given him in this life. And the father says, hey, son, everything I have is yours. Have I not blessed you? You see, and we can be like that if we're not careful. What nature do these rewards take? Listen, two forms. Rewards in this life, in terms of the, we call them blessings. When we serve the Lord, God will reward us. It says in Mark chapter 10, verse 29, that no one who follows him will fail to receive homes, fields, brothers, sisters, in this current age. Hallelujah. You just need to believe it, that's all. Believe it to receive it. All right, so blessings, that's the form, one side of the reward. The other side is in the age to come, and the Bible talks about right, uh, uh, crowns. I've given you a list. It says the reward is a crown of righteousness, an incorruptible crown. We get the crown of life, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of glory, and on and on it goes. So you can see that reflecting what we did in this life, so shall the crowns be issued and given out by Christ. Point six, or point four, sorry. We would do well to remember that every day you either add or subtract from your eternity. What did you do yesterday? How did you spend yesterday? Did you think even once of eternity? Because that was a period, a short period, that never comes back. And we just don't get it, do we? We don't see it. And that's what Christ is trying to wake us up to. Wake up to rewards. Realize every minute of every day is ticking by. And of course, we don't know how long we've got on this planet. No man does. That's a mystery to us. We're not told. How foolish we would be then not to live every day with Jesus first. And he would say, you see, we, we struggle with this, but Jesus doesn't. He says, build up your rewards in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, right? Then point five, very important bit this actually. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'll read from verse 8 to verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll read from verse 8. The man who plants... And the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace of God, and uh, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold or silver or costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, judgment day, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. So you see what Paul is saying to you? Your life's work will be tested by fire before the throne of Jesus Christ on judgment day. If what you have built through your life survives, he will receive his reward. And there it is again. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. If you read it and you truly get it, friends, it's awesome. I appear before Christ 
in a, in a spiritual body. And it says, books are opened that contain the deeds of my life, good and bad. And God begins a refining process of fire, Paul says, to look at what you did. Look at what you said. Not to rub it in, not to remind you, but so that anything that you are not aware of can be processed out of your system. You're being refined, being prepared for the marriage supper of the Lamb, actually. You're being got ready here for a wedding. It's just about to take place. And he comforts us and works us through that system, through, works us through your history, all of your life. Not in a hard way because it's the Bema seat for those who are born again. But do you know in the book of Revelation, do you know what it says he does at that throne? When you're being judged, he says this, I will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more mourning and there will be no more pain. Do you get the, the, the point? Why am I crying at the judgment seat? What am I mourning about? I've just seen Jesus, haven't I? He uses three particular things. He says remorse will be taken away. So I appear before Jesus and the books are open and I go, oh, no! Jesus says, hang on. I need to bring you back through this. We need to work through your life. The remorse, I will take away your remorse. I don't want to face it, Jesus. Don't read that book. I have to read that book. It has to be done. There's remorse. There's mourning. Remorse concerns what I have done and what I, what I, what I should have done. What about the, the, the mourning? The mourning concerns these guys out here. The lost. My family members that I didn't tell. My neighbors, my friends. People who we, we know and we love, who we wanted there and we mourn. And somehow Jesus takes away that pain. Again, you can read all about it. You begin to get a bit of a sobering view of the judgment. Paul says that we will be judged for excellence. And that's something this church does so well on. We are at the work and standards here are wonderful, absolutely wonderful and good. Praise the Lord. Let, let's push on and indeed strive for that towards excellence in everything we do and know that our work, we're offering it to God. Don't be like Cain who brought a sloppy offering and God cast it aside and accepted Abel, righteous Abel, who brought an offering of excellence. Know that you serve a holy God. Amen excellence it will be purged by fire the work of your life tested in fire to, to you know to, to, to suss us out the motivations of our heart point six all all rewards will be proportional to the work done once again this is a, a sobering thought i'm very cold with myself i'm very i suppose maybe hard with myself in terms of that point because i think it's important i like to 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 to, to stay cool <laughs> what have i done what have I actually done? I mean, get real. You can have daydreams, can't you? And many Christians do. Living in a fantasy world, it's just not real. And I, like to, I like to keep things very practical because I will actually be rewarded for what I have done, me, on my own. And when you start to really analyze that, the daydreams can disappear and the list gets a bit short. And let that be a motivation that you start to serve the Lord. Wow, Jesus. 
You know, God can give you eyes. I thank God. One of the things that at this seat here, when you appear before Christ, you will. Lost or saved, you will. And one of the things he's looking for, particularly in the church, is faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. He's looking for faithfulness. And you know, every now and again, you get a, I get a lot of visions. Praise God. Every now and again, you see something. And I saw something in here just a few weeks ago, about four weeks ago. That was Eileen. And we were just, it was a busy week. And we'd had something on the, 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 the Wednesday. I think it was the women's event. And I was doing security. You know, you stand in the door. Eileen comes in. Hi, Eileen. That was Wednesday. Thursday, I can't remember what it was, but it was something on. And Eileen turned up to do the worship. Oh, hi, Eileen. Hi, Eileen. Friday came. Friday night prayer. I'm standing down there and I look up. Oh, it's Eileen. Hi, Eileen. Hi. Sunday came. I'm standing in the morning. Oh, there's Eileen again. Hi, Eileen. And Sunday night came. And I just walked in, just casually, and the worship was going on. And I looked up. Boom. Oh, did you see that? <laughs> I saw that. I saw glory. Glory. A little glimpse of glory. Not conscious, but glory. And it's almost like the Lord, you know, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you know the, what's it, what was it, the term, it, um, what was it we used to use of our worship leader? Uh, I've forgotten. <laughs> when you serve the Lord, you know, love covers over a multitude of sins, right? And I think faithfulness can do the same in the kingdom. That when we are faithful, that, you know, God will accept you on that basis and hold you close to himself. I praise God for that. Be faithful. Good weather. Amen, you're here. <laughs> Good weather and bad, right? Be faithful because there's a great reward up ahead for us, folks. If we remain faithful, you've had, Paul warns us, John warns us, stay faithful to your God. So the rewards will be proportional to the work done and seven Leanne preached on this a few weeks ago, so I won't go any detail on it, but it is important. And that are, it, it, it's the motivations of our heart that will be judged, guys. The motivations. God's so focused on this point. Why you do what you do. St. Augustine put it very well. Listen. St. Augustine said this. The real test is not what you do if you think that Jesus is coming soon. It's what you do if you think He's not coming soon. That's the real test of your motivation. In fact, Jesus put it very similarly in the parables he told. When he told parables about the returning king who left the servants in charge of the earth, you know. In both parables, he used the same term. He said, and the master was a long time coming back. And because he was a long time, the servants got lazy, apathetic, or whatever. You see, Augustine was absolutely right. The true test of my heart and my motivation. It's not what I do if I think he's coming tomorrow. It's what I do if I think he's not coming for many years to come. That will reveal us. Remember, when Christ comes back, he's not going to be judging you on what you're doing. He's going to be judging you on what you've done. We can't just, as it were, spring to action and expect, although you will be rewarded, but he's looking at your whole life. Books, remember? Books. Going back over the years, we will be, be rewarded 
on what we have done. Now, by all means, let's get sprung into action, but understand that you can't just do that. Don't do it with the wrong motivation is what I mean. Let's stay consistent in our service to God. <laughs> Enough about hell <laughs> and judgment. Look at the end of your notes there. Let's just look at heaven and what the Bible actually says about heaven. If you turn to the book of Revelation with me one moment, this is a delight to look at. Revelation chapter 21. And this is our introduction to the real heaven. Revelation verse 21 and verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. Now that truly is heaven. Um, now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I'll skip down to, to verse 9. In fact, sorry, I'll, I'll skip over to verse 17. Chapter, Revelation 21, verse 19. The foundations of the walls of the city were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carillion, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, and the tenth christophase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And just turn over to chapter 22 and verse 5, where he reiterates that. There will be no more need for night. Sorry, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and will reign over them forever. What a picture. And I believe John here is really seeing. God's giving him a glimpse of that which is to be. You know, in heaven, there will be no hospitals because there'll be no sickness. There'll be no loneliness because God himself will be your company. There'll be no handicaps. There'll be no worry. There'll be no regret. No mourning, no tears, no temptations. That's what there will not be. And there's some things that the scriptures are clear there will be. It will be a place of great rest. Something we find hard to get in this life. A, a, a place where you can enjoy your rewards. A place where your questions will finally be answered. And it is a place where God himself is the light and we don't need this hallelujah <laughs> you know this light see this light here this is not pure light it's just ordinary light but you can do all sorts of things with light you know John had a vision God showed him heaven and when he saw heaven he names there 12 
precious stones. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of precious stones in this world. But John, in his vision of heaven, he sees only 12, right? And he lists them out one by one. And just recently, a man called Dr. Woodward devoted his life to studying the gems mentioned in the book of Revelation. And he used to sort of do scientific experiments with light. And this, as I say, it's not pure light, just standard light. But if you take that light and you take a pair of Polaroid sunglasses, Polaroid sunglasses have lines like that in them, you just can't see them, and you fire a beam, the light becomes more intense and more pure. If you take two pairs of Polaroid sunglasses at right angles to one another, and you fire a beam of light through it, you get what's called cross-polarized light. Very powerful, very pure, and very revealing. Now, God is light. And it says in heaven, He will be the light. And there'll be no other light, no other form of light but Him. And what Dr. Woodward discovered, and it's utterly fascinating, he took all the precious gems that he could find on earth, and he fired cross-polarized light at them. And to his shock, he found that under that inspection, if you like, diamonds just go jet black. They don't reflect light at all. They don't show glory. Rubies do exactly the same. Garnets do the same. And, and precious stone after precious stone, he thought, as I increase the light, they lose all glory. But when he came to the 12 stones mentioned by John, what did they do? Burst! Burst into glory! And he wrote a book about it. It's right here. That the 12 stones that John the Apostle saw in his vision of heaven were the 12 stones on this earth which actually respond to pure light. Hallelujah. I was going to try and get a picture up here of the Apostle John with a pair of Polaroid sunglasses on, you know, just to bring home the point. He didn't have it. He had no idea. I forget what the probability is of him choosing the 12 out of all the precious stones. It's, you know, I can't remember what. So what did John see? He saw heaven. He saw heaven. Jesus showed him that to communicate to you of the hope that you can have. Friends, let me finish with this. When I first met someone who was born again, I realized I wasn't. His light drew out my darkness. And I started like a man obsessed to get saved. I did everything, left nothing undone. I mean, I, I, I turned my place upside down. Gave all that I had to the poor. And I knew I'd read the Bible. You know, here I knew doing good couldn't save you. Giving money to the poor couldn't save you. But I did it anyway. And I cleared every obstacle that I could possibly see in my life because there was a holy determination in me. I'm not going to hell. I am going to get saved. And praise God, His grace reached me. And He saved me. But that's just the beginning. And I need to have 10 times more conviction and gumption and oomph to get now to finish this race. And I need to apply myself to make sure with fear and trembling 
that I actually do reach that throne and not get waylaid as I live this life. That's what we need to do. Our program, folks, is called Preparing the Way. And you know why it's called Preparing the Way in the book of Acts? The church was called the people of the way. They were called the way. And what we're doing right here is we are preparing the church, the way, for the return of Jesus Christ. That's you. And that's you. And on that list, simple list, you've been given guidelines, I've been given guidelines to follow so that I will enter into an eternal, worthy reward. Amen? Amen. I'll just invite the worship team back. Let's stand. Jesus, just stay focused on the Lord one moment. Close your eyes. Lord Jesus. Lord God. God, I pray you will remove all confusion and all distraction from our lives. Like never before, we present ourselves before you. Lord, open our eyes. Once again, we pray for wisdom, insight, revelation, discernment of the world in which we live. Let us have a, a holy consternation within us that we will reach that throne by your grace, God. We will reach the throne of our God. I pray that we will be pleasing to you. Submit today, God. Thank you. Thanks, Jesus.